You know, and as we continue to navigate, attempt to navigate through this global pandemic, this one thing that has been at the forefront um, of major of uh, is the concern of the medical system and the major disparities that Black people face in health and medicine. I mean, if you're going to be in a society that has a history of um, marginalization and, and racism that's institutionalized, you're going to see it in every facet, which includes medical care and health care. And so um, we're going to have this conversation today. And, and we have two guests that I would love to welcome and to bring on. Um, we have Dr. Moosley LeBlanc and Kelsey Hicks-Buns. And I'm going to introduce both of them to you um, together. So Dr. Moosley LeBlanc, affectionately known as Dr. Mo, is a highly awarded and sought after medical doctor, holistic energy practitioner, and success coach. She is an Ivy League educated physician with roots at University of Pennsylvania, Columbia University, and Cornell University. She has been recognized as a top doctor in the Baltimore region. She runs a holistic medical practice, taking a holistic approach to care that addresses the mind, body, heart, and soul. She coaches ambitious women to have higher impact by helping them gain inner alignment in the areas of business, health, and love. She's a motivational speaker and has been featured in the media, including CBS and Fox, and now Sensation Station Network. She is a mother, wife, and entrepreneur, and she is here with us today. Welcome, Dr. Mo. Hi, how are you, Dr. Pamela? It's great. I'm great. I'm great. I'm uh, surviving out here um, in these streets of COVID, but I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Same here, staying captive. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and where are you physically located right now? I'm in Maryland. Okay. All right. All right. And so you are you are you pretty much done the bulk of your work um, in Mar in the Maryland area. Maryland and Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Great. And I'm curious, and I'm going to bring um, Kelsey on as well. But I'm just I'm curious to know how the um, the, this crisis is playing out where you are because I live in Georgia. I constantly hear that Georgia is at the top of the list um, with black maternal death. And I just like, I can't wrap my mind around it because this is the place where everybody says it's the black Mecca, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, thriving out here and, and moving and shaking. Uh, what's it look like in Maryland? You know, I don't know the actual statistics, but from my experience, I've met more women here who've had loss, including myself, um, than really anywhere else that I've lived. And I've lived in New York, I've lived in Philadelphia, and it just seems unreal here. And I know DC is also near the top of the list as well. And so where I am, I'm halfway between DC and Baltimore. So two major okay. areas that are relative hotspots. And it's well, and then that, and it, oh, go ahead. I almost wonder. It seems like the more educated and progressive the minorities are, it almost seems to correlate with more, even more so, being dismissed. Because in Philadelphia, I, I definitely did not have this experience at all. That's so interesting. Wow. Well, that's something we need to talk about for sure. Um, it just makes me feel that because with Atlanta being like the black Mecca and DC, yeah. well, 
it's just why are they near the top? It's it's really unheard of. And one of the most recent deaths was a a, a woman who worked for the CDC. Yeah, you know. Yes. So it's it's yeah, um, and it also makes me wonder: is is it also that as time goes by, the numbers increase? Is it because you know the numbers have been increasing that now we're starting to meet more and more women, you know, or hear of more and more women who are experiencing this? I don't know. Um, but let me bring Kelsey on. So, so let me introduce Kelsey. So Kelsey Hicks-Buns is the director of the Women's Resource Center at Bucknell University and, form, uh, and founder and queen curator of Essentially Kelsey. She is a collective healing space for Black people and people of color to speak, be heard, listen, and heal through a variety of healing and mindfulness modalities. Much of her life mission involves creating spaces for inspiration and empowerment. While she loves talking about anything body and life positive, she also enjoys crafting, singing, and writing. Uh, we have done karaoke together, so this is true. I can vouch for that. Kelsey is living the epitome of an unapologetic life, love, and voice. She is not interested in existing in a world that tells Black women to be seen and not heard, to move out of the way, and to just fit in. Instead, she is loud and bold and taking up as much space as she deserves because she is not moving out of anyone's way. You are excused. <laughs> Welcome, Kelsey. <laughs> I think you're muted. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you. But I love, and this is why I think the two, the two of you together are going to make for a good conversation because this whole idea of voice, making space, um, you know, th that is such an important, um, I, it's interesting because one of the things that concerns me is whether or not we have voice when we're working with our doctors. Um, so, <laughs> We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, um, we're going to dive into um, this conversation. Actually, we'll have trending topics, and then we're going to dive into this conversation. So stay with us. Primary election. Lack of diversity. Gas prices. Michael Clark. Trending topics. elevated level of connection I have to this 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 case um, but last night um, was was the news of Kyle Rittenhouse 17 years old who decided to show up in Kenosha got in the car from Illinois because of a call to come out to this protest um, because apparently there was some social media call for people who want to come out and uh, quote unquote protect the uh, businesses, um, which we know good and well, that's not really what this was about. Um, so, so Kyle Rittenhouse got in his car from Antioch, Illinois, drove up to Kenosha, Wisconsin, and paraded around the protests yesterday um, with a, a rifle, um, got water from police, high fives from police, you know, chummy with police. And, and so my thing is, okay, first of all, and I know I, I'm supposed to get to what happened, but my concern is that, yes, we have a right to bear arms. Yes, we have a right to walk around with guns. We do. 
But if you put it in context, you know that he's there to intimidate. He's not there for peaceful reasons. You know, it's, it's put on us. You got to peacefully protest. There's nothing peaceful about what he was doing. So he opens fire um, and he shoots three people. He kills two. I haven't heard the status today. I, I hope that the, the, the third person who was shot is okay, but they were in critical condition last night. And I, in watching the video, which I have yet to watch the video of, of um, the gentleman who was shot on Monday. I just, I'm sick of seeing it, but I did watch this video and there was, there were people trying to stop him, jumping on him, trying to, you know, and so one of the people that it appeared that he shot were one of the people that jumped on him to stop the, the shooting, um, which is, I, I, I mean, heroic. I don't know. I mean, it was just stunning. So, so that was the, the, um, he, and then after it happened, he walked away with his gun in his hand, walked by, I don't know how many police vehicles and nobody did anything. He got all the way back home to Illinois before he got arrested. I'm just going to stop talking. What, what are you, <laughs> thoughts, where, where, where are you on this? Cause I know I am, I am livid. I, I don't even know what the words are. You have no words either. <laughs> I understand. No. I understand. Yeah. What can we yeah, do? You know, it's you know. Interesting. I mean, you know, even talking about it is really difficult. As a black person, it's re-traumatizing every time you have to talk about these incidences, every time you have to prove that your life is valuable. Um, you know, yeah. even when you were talking and you said, we have the right to bear arms and walk around with guns. It's like, do we all have that right? We don't. We don't. No. We don't. <laughs> There's no way that would that wouldn't have fly. That wouldn't fly if what? one of us were doing that. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, the guy who got shot. I think in a Walmart. He was actually shopping in the gun section of Walmart. Had their gun there that was there for sale. Just looked at it, and yeah. he got attacked by police. So it's yeah. it's you know. But in terms of how this relates to healthcare, you know, we always think of race as being a, a risk factor, but in reality it's really the lived experience of being a black man and woman in America. That's right. the true risk factor. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad that you said that because that's essentially what I've been trying to talk to my students about that, you know, we can argue all day what the law is or what the rights are, but the fact of the matter is, is our experiences are, more valid when, when we're talking about how to be safe, how to engage with other folks. Our experiences really are the things that we need to, to share and to elevate. Me talking about what this, this person could do, is it legal? Is it lawful for them to have a gun? Is it lawful for them to have been at the protest? Like for me, I try not to sit in that space because it doesn't do me any good. There have been plenty of times where I've been doing the right thing and it's not yielded the result that I wanted. So right. I try to talk to the students about exactly that. The, the fact that you have to be on your guard. You have to know where you are. I don't know if you all, and this is kind of off the subject, but I don't know if you all have been watching uh, Lovecraft Country, but the notion of sundown cities, like you need to know where you are. You This is still not the time for you to just kind of wing it and go and do whatever because you think it's going to be okay. No, you need to know where you're going before you get there. Wow. And then with caution. My goodness. Uh, 
you say it and it's like, no, it's not like I never heard of it before, the, the sundown cities, but it just, it, it's shocking to hear that, no, this is, this is where we, this is where we are. So I, that was our trending topic for today. We are going to get into the subject as soon as we come back uh, from the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today I am joined by Dr. Mosley LeBlanc, also known as Dr. Mo, and Kelsey Hicks-Buns. And uh, we are talking about the crisis of Black women um, in America. In um, You know, I always hate just saying just in America, because, you know, America is huge. We got North, Central, South, but, you know, we're talking about the United States of America. And, you know, what's interesting is that our maternal, um, our, our death rates are actually higher in some other countries um, in the third world. Um, so I would love to hear um, from, from Dr. Mo, in terms of the work that you've done um, you know, with women, you're a physician, but what can you tell me about the scope of the work that you do as a physician? If, if we, we know there's all kinds of physicians out there. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you do? So I specialize in physical medicine and rehabilitation and what we focus on is on quality of life. So when somebody has a life altering a medical diagnosis like a stroke, cancer, or just general back pain, hip pain, knee pain, it affects how they function in the world. And so we focus on getting people back to doing the things that they love before it's interrupted. And I take a holistic approach. I do energy work as well with coaching. And I mean, I know that you do a lot of coaching um, and have your coaching academy, but I can't tell you that, you know, I was already an awarded physician before being a coach, but once I became a coach, it completely transformed how I how I really doctored patients, and it's wow. been transformative for my practice. Oh, that's that's amazing to hear. That's that's one of the things that we are um, kind of playing around with for the coaching academy is how can we work um, these skills into um, you know the medical world. We're actually um, I'm actually a part of um, Harvard's Institute of Coaching, which is partnered with um, their medical school, and and that's um, a really I think important initiative and partnership. So I I appreciate you speaking to that. Um, and, and Kelsey, with regards to the work that you do on um, campus and with students, as well as, you know, you've got this whole idea of healing um, as well. And, you know, what have you seen that is really kind of driven you to the idea that, you know, we need healing and I'm going to create something for that? Well, there are a couple of things. One thing in particular is that there is still a huge stigma on mental health in the Black community. And so I, as someone who has been very vocal about utilizing a variety of mental health professionals, what, one of the things that I saw was that we needed to create a space where we did not pathologize mental health and the actual experiences of, of folks' everyday lives. So I wanted to create a space that was geared specifically to people who look like me because there is also this, this unspoken need to explain things and especially working at a predominantly white institution, I noticed that when there's, the spaces are mixed, the students tend to not share as much because they have to over explain. So right. when you said um, you could talk about black women in America, I think 
all of us knew exactly what we could talk about. We knew the underlying issues that could be discussed. We knew the topics that are really hot right now. But when you're in mixed company, you have to explain. And sometimes you feel like I'm, I'm not going to do it, but you feel like you may have to step on eggshells. And I wanted to create some space where, where that's not that's not what's happening with us. We're going to share. You're going to be as unapologetic as you need to be. And from there, I think that's where my experience is that's where healing begins. When you can be unapologetic in how you communicate, you don't feel like you have to say it in perfect, complete sentences. You just sort of let it out. Stop yeah. shouldering the burden. And it's been really miraculous. I love it. I love it. I really want to come back to this idea of voice. Um, and this voice came up in, in Kelsey's introduction, but I think it's something that we all have to at some point figure out how to grasp. Um, you know, sometimes we are raised to use our voices, but in most cases, I would think that we're raised to, you know, don't cause too much racket, you know, just it, it you know, I, I think we have to learn how to find our voices. Um, when we are in our interactions with our doctors, have either of you found that using your voice has been a challenge and, you know, or have you heard other people talk about that? What does that look like? <laughs> Um, for me, it's been a major challenge because where I live, I don't particularly trust the physicians in my area. So I feel like I'm constantly doing a lot of preliminary research before I get into the space. And that might be reading dissertations, reading current research. Like I'm not just wow. going to WebMD. I'm, I'm reading as much as I can because of some of the things that I'm dealing with. And what I have discovered is that my white physicians tend to respond in defense and respond that I don't know what I'm talking about or that's not relevant or that they know better than I do because they are the physician. So it's it's put me in a position where I'm continuously having to advocate for myself in spaces where I'm already not seen as a person with pain or I'm not honest about what I'm experiencing. Um, that's their perception. So one example I'll give with regard to maternal health is that I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so as we look to start a family, of course, we've been going to different doctors to learn about what we should expect through this process. And the first doctor that I found was actually a person of color, but he could not move past my weight. Everything was that I was fat and I just needed to lose weight. And so he sent me to a nutritionist and she said, well, I just think you need to have weight loss surgery. I just like I don't want to hear about hypothyroidism because, you know, I know that's a thing, but it's not really like you can lose weight if you just tried, if you ate less, if you would exercise more. And I was like, OK, yeah, but I'm doing those things. You're seeing that it's not working. So as I continue to advocate for myself, I made her increasingly irritated or she became increasingly irritated. I don't think I made it. I think she was set to do that regardless of what I said. But I have to advocate in ways that I feel like my peers who are not people of color don't have to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything to add to that, Dr. Mo? Yes. No, I think it's true. And I think um, I think it's the case even across educational and socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, yeah. Because even as a Black physician, I felt the same way. The same way. So I'm curious to know, because, you know, physicians, whether they are black, white, Latina, whatever they are, um, get trained in the same spaces. Right. And we we have our biases that we come up with. Um, 
I think some of my greatest frustrations over the last few weeks, few months have been from black people who don't get that black people are oppressed in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and so I know that this translates over to the medical field. In fact, I've had um, a few um, medical friends who said, no, black women are dying because black women aren't taking care of themselves. It has nothing to do with us. And I have had um, experiences with um, physicians who, you know, and I, I, so not trying to throw us under the bus, but even a black female physician who just kind of was very dismissive and just kind of like, yeah, okay, well, all right, moving on, you know, and just really didn't take the time. Now, I've certainly had the opposite experience, but I'm just wondering this whole element of race um, and, and what you all might think about this idea of um, how the ways in which we might be perpetuating the problem ourselves. Is this something that you see or is this just kind of something unique that I'm, I'm seeing? <laughs> no, I don't think this is unique at all. I mean, I, I, you know, there's two sides to every coin. So could we ourselves do more and do better for ourselves? Absolutely. And even when we do so, there are still barriers. You know, when we yeah. look at pregnancy-related mortality rates among Black women, those who actually completed college education or higher were 1.6 times um, more than white women less, who had less than a high school diploma. And when we just looked at women with greater than high school education, Black women were 5.2 times uh, having pregnancy-related mortality rates than their white counterparts. So, you know, the recent, and I'm quoting this from the study that came out, the CDC results that came out in 2019 that really bared light that this isn't a socioeconomic issue. This isn't you have chronic, uh, you know, medical conditions. This isn't you didn't seek care out early enough. This isn't you weren't educated right. enough. It's literally because you are a black woman and people dismiss you and your experience that we're having a higher rate of death and yeah. infant mortality. Right, right. Um, and, and I mean, and that's so you when you spoke earlier about, you know, there's there's not necessarily. Um, you, no, I think you said that, in fact, sometimes at higher socioeconomic stand, um, statuses, it, what is going on there? How is that the case that did you say more? Yeah, five, um, two times. So what what what's what's up? I mean, do we have an answer for that? <laughs> like I can talk for myself when I was okay. last year and I called complaining that the baby wasn't kicking. This is not my first pregnancy, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I was dismissed. Oh, it's nothing. And it's like, no, this is a drastic change from last week. I, I need mm. to be seen. Well, we don't have anybody available to be seen. I, I've never been told that while pregnant. We don't have availability for you. Wow. You know, and even after the loss, I came in one week later for my checkup visit, complaining of shortness of breath. And again, I was, it was a late second trimester loss, 27 weeks. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm more short of breath now than I was pregnant. I've wow. been, you know, I've had a term pregnancy in the past. I have a son and I'm more short of breath now than I was at the end of my third trimester with my first child. Like this is different. And again, dismissed. Mm -hmm. And this was actually a person of color, this provider. Yeah. And I stood my ground and said, no, there's something wrong. And that's when she finally ordered a chest x-ray, blood work that showed extreme abnormalities. I mean, the radiologist called the doctor's step before I even walked out the building. 
I was wow. back from my doctor saying, oh my gosh, you have to be seen ASAP. And even still, you know, they're telling me it's one diagnosis and I just, I just knew that that was not what it was. And so I had to advocate to another doctor who was a person of color, um, but he was actually fantastic. And I said, we have to investigate this more. And he ordered a CT and again, found very different findings than what we thought. So it's just having to really ask and push and really demand that your needs be addressed. And that is not a natural skill that, that we have. And, you know, I'm thinking about, we have to go to a break, but I'm thinking about Kelsey as she's in trying to embark on this journey um, of, of carrying a child and, and what, if we use Kelsey as an example, what we might need to, how we might need to prepare her for this journey, um, you know? Um, so when we come back, we're gonna look at this a little more. I wanna show you a clip um, of um, a case that, that was quite tragic. So when we come back, we're gonna look at that and then um, continue this conversation. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today I am joined by Dr. Mosley LeBlanc, Dr. Moe, and Kelsey Hicks Buns. And we are talking about black um, the, the, the mortality rate of black mothers, um, and which is exceptionally um, high here in the United States. Um, I also wanted to just give you all an opportunity if you um, want to comment or you have anything to say, please definitely leave your comments. We'll acknowledge those. Um, and um, we definitely want to get you in on this conversation. Uh, we do have a comment from Facebook from Jamie Moranci. She's saying it's like Kelsey said, when you're engaged in doing research, they become more defensive because they don't want to be called out. So um, that's very interesting. So we've got ego at play here as well, it sounds like, um, on top of maybe some of the other issues that are that are coming out. Um, what a, I, I want to, oh, go ahead, Kelsey, go ahead. The one thing I wanted to add to that is, it's most definitely ego. I had um, one doctor, I, I printed the research and brought it to the, the appointment because I was like, okay, maybe they're not understanding it. Maybe there is language in here that they will understand better. And the doctor flat out said, who do you think you are? I know what I'm doing. I've gone to school to do this. And I say, you know what? I also learn from qualitative and quantitative researchers. So I know what I'm doing as well. And if you aren't gonna treat me the way that I deserve and desire to be treated, then I will no longer use you as my provider. And he walked out of the room. He did. Oh and I gosh. said, I said, well, um, and this wasn't even about a baby. This was, <laughs> this was about, um, a skin infection, something that I randomly caught in Philadelphia of all places, <laughs> but he just, he was so dismissive. And I think that to what Dr. Mo is saying that the higher your educational attainment, the more comfortable and confident we feel to use our voices, especially when that attainment has come with other black women in particular. And so when we get that confidence, we feel like we can go in and we should be prepared and we want because we've been taught all our lives we have to be twice as good to get half as much so that yeah. means that i'm going to do the work but i think that that there are still people even people of color who believe that um that we still don't have a right to that and it's, right. it's disheartening but i'm going to continue to use my voice i'm, I'm going to continue to print things out i'm a millennial with a printer and i'm going to continue <laughs> to make sure i have my research because at the end of the day, while I do trust the doctors, it's still my body. And I have had 33 years of this body. 
So if anybody yeah. is the expert on this body, it's me. Right, right. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things um, that I wanted to share is um, is the video of um, gentleman Charles Johnson. Um, he went all the way to the Supreme Court um, to fight because his wife um, died after negligence. And so um, if we have a, that clip, I'd love to go ahead and play I brought it to the attention now. of the staff, the nurses at Cedar sinai they came in. They said, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to order a set of tests. And we're going to order a CT scan to be performed stat. I was concerned, but I, used, I said, you know what? My wife is healthy and we're supposed to be, what's supposed to be one of the best hospitals in the world. I'm concerned, but we've got a plan, okay? Blood work comes back. It's showing that it's abnormal and she's hemorrhaging. And they ordered a CT scan that was supposed to be performed stat. Keep in mind, this is around four o'clock. Five o'clock comes, no CT scan. Her, can, her like we might not have are continuing to drop. By this time, she's beginning to shiver uncontrollably. Six o'clock, no CT scan. She's becoming, be, okay. she's beginning to become pale. All right. Well, if we don't have this one, I can do an overview of um, of what happened. Um, you know, basically, Charles Johnson, um, his wife was um, admitted into the hospital um, in less than twelve hours after giving birth to their second child. Um, Kira Johnson died from a hemorrhage. Um, and uh, she had a, uh, they said that she may have had a, a heart problem or, a, um, oh, no, 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 no. They're saying um, none of that was Kira's case from having a heart problem, um, but that she, it was a, it, something that could have been caught um, that, you know, she couldn't, you know, that, that in fact, he saw that there was blood in her um, IV and, didn't um they they wouldn't in fact what they said to her him was your wife is not a priority right now um i i can't imagine why such a phrase would come out of somebody's mouth i mean even when you are told that there is blood or that that the id is red is that not dr mo is that not a sign to say you know we need to do something or is it common enough for them to say it's fine it'll just happen all the time this will be okay Unfortunately for Black women, hemorrhaging is one of the major risk factors of death. Um, and it's we're finding that 60% of cases are actually preventable of, of these deaths. Hmm. And so it's, it's really alarming. That case and all the details, when you really get down to it, it's, it's hard to really stand up for the medical system that allowed it to happen because there was a lot of things that, were, that went wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that term, not a priority, should have never, ever been used. Yeah. And it, it's really upsetting, the whole case. Uh, so, right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, uh, it's hard for me to, and I know you're, you're kind of at a loss of words. You're like, what, what can we say? What can we say? Because there's, there's not a lot of rationale that can be given for something like that. And unfortunately, it happens. Um, way too often. What One of the things that I said when I first opened the show today was that a lot of us experience these things maybe in a more passive way, maybe not quite as in your face as you're not, she's not a priority. Um, and then we, I don't know that we realize that this is the problem. What we are experiencing is in fact the problem that's being documented with, um, you know, these deaths and these complications. I'll give you an example in my own life. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I was days away from giving birth. I had a doula. Thank God for my doula. 
And she was um, a huge advocate for me. And we, I wanted a natural birth. I had a C-section with my son who was, um, that was 11 years earlier. So I, as far as I knew for my doula, it's totally okay for me to have a natural birth, um, you know, with my daughter 11 years later. So we were prepared to do that. I had an appointment and the doctor, my regular doctor wasn't there. She couldn't be there for the birth. Um, I had a new doctor and he said, when I said I wanted to go natural, he laughed at me and he said, yeah, right. You're going to be begging for that medicine just like everybody else does. And I was stunned. Um, thank God for my doula because she said, you can fire him. You do not have to go through the birth process with him. I didn't know that. Otherwise, if it wasn't for her, I would have reluctantly gone through and had anxiety for the next few days until it was time to give birth. She found me a, a midwife. So I had a midwife and a doula. It was the most amazing experience ever. I felt like Wonder Woman because I did it naturally. But it <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Kamala. I'm joined today by Kelsey Hicks-Buns and Dr. Mo, and we are talking about this whole phenomenon of Black maternal health. And um, so, so based on the story that I just told the end, I was given a voice. I was told, here's what you can do. What can we do for other Black women who are going through this process? What can we do for our beloved Kelsey, who is <laughs> in ready to embark on this journey? Um, how do we prepare and arm women? Because right now the problem still exists. So it's not gonna go away tomorrow. What can we do from the, the standpoint of a patient to make sure that we are taken care of? And our loved ones as well, because they're gonna advocate for us while we're in this process. Either one of you. <laughs> from a patient perspective, I think it's important to trust your gut trust yourself and listen to your intuition. And I think more and more we're in a stage of awakening in this time period. And it's really important that we turn inward because we know our bodies better than anybody else. Yeah. Secondly, I think it's important that we speak up and ask questions and ask until you fully understand. And yes. I do realize that sometimes as a black woman, when we ask so many questions, it can feel antagonistic and like confrontational. And so, I think it's important for us to even state, I value you know, your education and opinion, and I want to work with you to create a plan. And yeah. so really putting it out on the table, and this goes from a position too, they should really be stating that as well, as this is a partnership. So right. how can we work together rather than make it seem like we're fighting each other? Because hopefully you guys have the same goals and outcome. Right. And hesitate to call and ask a question. And if you can have, um, support, like a support person, advocate, or doula. They even have virtual doulas now because of COVID. Uh, wow. It's really awesome to do so. And so just having one other set of ears there is helpful. Um, and honestly, at being on the side of a physician, I've had patients come in with an advocate. And a lot of times it's a non-person of color. And it, it's interesting how it really changes the dynamic. Wow. That's that interesting. You have like a non-person of color advocate. They really, huh. really clearly, uh, you know, help express what's going on, what the concerns are, what needs to be addressed. With the doctor in wow. a way that doesn't really have that confrontation. It's it's really interesting. Um, so I've oh 
both uh, sides in terms of being on the doctor side and the patient side. But I mean, I know as physicians, you know, the number one thing we need to do for all you providers out there is first acknowledge that racism exists and it's a problem because so many of us in the health field think that it does yeah. and it actually exists so much more prevalently in this microcosm. Mm -hmm. Second of wow. all, we need to show compassion. And to me, like that's where com the, the coaching really comes in. It's like, thank you for coming in. I'm glad you came in to talk about this issue because oftentimes we're dismissed. So just right. their concern. Okay, I hear this is yeah. happening. Summarize yeah. it. It sounds like you're saying this, this, that, and the other. Do I have it right? Right. Just asking that question really invites them to really add additional information because for many patients, what happens is they automatically feel dismissed, they shut down, and they stop sharing. And so yes. they never actually get to tell you the pertinent information that would make you say, oh my gosh, we need to do something. Right. So wow. summarizing and asking, you know, anything else, like really, and just validating really opens the door to openly have discussions and really get into the get into their deeper um and then the third most important things for providers to do is to color the visit and what to that what? uncolor uncolor the visit okay so that's my term <laughs> <laughs> i like it you're like, I like it. uncolor I the visit because really when you stop saying this is a black female presenting with and instead say this is a white male who's coming in complaining of chest pain. What should mm. I do? Mm. Yeah. And actually compare that to what you actually had written down that you were gonna do for this black patient. Mm. Wow. And that right there, doing that exercise really helps you see your own bias. Right. And so a lot of times I do that with my with my patients who tend to get dismissed more. So female patients get dismissed people of color, immigrants, mm -hmm. whenever I'm dealing with anybody in that class, I, I uncolor the visit. If wow. this were a white male here, what would I do? What's the standard of care for this chief complaint? Right. If right. that's not my plan, then I need to change my plan and make wow. it appropriate. That's, and that's I think that's really what providers need to do. That's powerful. Now, I, I, that was so good. <laughs> we needed, we needed to hear that. Um, and, and Kelsey, um, I wanted to give you both the opportunity to just let everybody know how they can reach you. Um, as we're closing out this hour, um, you have about 15 seconds. What, <laughs> how, how can they reach you? Folks can find me on Facebook at, at Kelsey essentially. And then on Instagram, I'm, I have several different hats that I wear obviously. Um, so you can also find me at Big Girl Sparkle, at Tendon Sage, and at Kelsey Essentially on Instagram as well. All right. Thank you. And Dr. Mo, they can reach me at my website, unleashthehealingwithin.com. And you can download a free guide to help you go from burnout to bliss at bit.ly forward slash bliss MD.
All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm so glad to have had you both today. Um, this hour went by way too fast, but I, am, I will be in touch um, because this is not the last time we're going to have this conversation. So definitely, um, you know, stay tuned, everybody. We have a whole other hour to go with two other guests. Thank you so much, Kelsey and Dr. Mo. Thank you. Yes, we will be back. Good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and today um, we are talking about the doctorate experience of black women in the medical system. Um, you know, the, the, what we are experiencing um, is a phenomenon in our society because um, black women right now have the highest rates of mortality um, after, before, during childbirth. And um, we are tackling that issue today. And we are going to be joined by two guests in the second hour, Kristen Mejia-Green and Anisha Stanley, who are going to give us their take on um, on, on this, this crisis that's happening here. Um, there are some statistics that I think are of note here. Um, we've got uh, that the maternal mortality rate and injury rates are higher for Black women, irrespective of income or education level. We are actually three to four times more likely to die um, as a result of pregnancy. What's interesting is in the last hour, Dr. Mo talked about um, how actually, in fact, she's witnessed more um, of these um, these these complications and, and deaths um, with women, or just the disregard um, with women who are in higher socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, which I thought was really interesting because the assumption is that this happens primarily with women who are maybe more financially um, unstable. But actually, um, one of the things that I thought was most intriguing that came out in the last conversation was that, in fact, when a woman has a higher level of conversation, I'm sorry, of um, education, and she is trying to use her voice and her knowledge about what she knows about herself and her body, she is more likely to be silenced um, due to the, um, the doctor's sense of ego or whatever it is that's going on that makes the doctor feel threatened. Um, by the woman's sense of of knowing. So really interesting um, um, overview in the first half. So we're going to have the, the uh, second half of the show. I want you all to stay tuned in. I want your comments. I want your stories. Um, we've got so much to talk about. So stay with us and we'll be back on the live exchange. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela and uh, today we are talking about the crisis that is black maternal death and um, the disparities that are happening within um, healthcare as it pertains to women's experiences. Um, I'd like to bring on my guests. Um, we have two guests um, for the second hour. And um, first, let me introduce um, Kristen Mejia Green. She is the owner and founder of Expressed Ex um, Expressed Yourself. I love it. Expressed Yourself Pumping Sweets. Um, founder and owner of Homeland Heart Birth and Wellness, I'm board member of the Rooted Bridge, postpartum doula, lactation peer counselor, mother of two, and wife, soror of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Welcome, Kristen. Hi. <laughs> I think Kristen is muted. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yes, how are you? Okay. <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? I 
am doing well. I am so Thank glad you to have you. Um, I, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by all of the work that you're doing here. Um, you know, it's all about making sure women have positive experiences with childbirth based on everything I'm seeing here. Uh, pre, post, and oh, you can't hear? Let's try it. Okay. <laughs> Things happening. All right. Are you good? I can't. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, I can. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. You can. Okay. okay we'll just, just hold on one second. Um, we'll bring in our second guest and um, hopefully we'll get your sound going. Um, our second guest is Anisha Stanley. She's a founder of Full Circle Doula Services, LLC, and Keys of Hope Foundation, a faith-based education and support nonprofit with a mission dedicated to breaking the silence supporting families and promoting awareness of pregnancy loss, infant loss, infertility, and maternal wellness. Anisha is a pregnancy loss and fertility grief, uh, grief coach, birth, bereavement, and postpartum doula, loving wife and mom to five angels in heaven and one rainbow baby, Sinai. She is an alumnus of Michigan State University with a BA in journalism. Welcome, Anisha. Hi, Dr. Pamela. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's so great to have you. I have to admit that I had some chills kind of go through, you know, when I read Mom to Five Angels in Heaven and One Rainbow Baby. Um, and so it, it, it sounds like you're doing the work um, that perhaps you would have liked to have received or that you experienced um, in your own journey. Yes, that's so, so true. So correct. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I thank you for doing this work. Um, it's it's so important because, um, you know, I, I, I doulas are near and dear to my heart. I had one in my own experience and she was a lifeline for me um, and an advocate yeah. for me as I had a doctor laugh at me and tell me, you're not going to go natural. You're going to laugh when or you're going to beg for that medicine just like everyone else. Mm. And, she stepped in and she handled it. <laughs> Great. That's I awesome. love it. So thank God for doulas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, so I I want to just kind of hear, you know, your journey in terms of how did you get to doing what you are doing today? And and maybe everybody isn't familiar with um the term rainbow baby, which I am, uh, but maybe you um, can explain that as well. Of course. Um, so my journey started maybe five five years ago. My husband and I, we lost our first baby due to a miscarriage. And we, well, while I was still grieving that loss, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, who is my rainbow baby. And a rainbow baby is a baby that is born after the loss of another baby. And so um, a lot of women don't know about that term. However, National Rainbow Baby Day was just this past Saturday, August 22nd. It's celebrated every year, August 22nd. Um, one of the unique things about that date also is that was the date two years ago that I also lost my last baby. Mm, wow. Yeah. So, um, again, my husband and I, we've experienced um, three miscarriages and two life-threatening ataxic pregnancies. And with my last baby that I lost that I nicknamed Hope um, in 2018, um, I wasn't feeling good at all. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought that I had a miscarriage, um, and, but it turned out a couple weeks later that I actually did not. We went into 
see the doctor because he was concerned also about my blood work. I have a great doctor and I do thank God for that. That wasn't always the case, but I did switch to him. Um, but he was concerned about my blood work. They did a ultrasound and lo and behold, the baby was still alive. I heard the heartbeat and that was just so sweet, like music to my ears because the last appointment that I went to um, for the baby that I lost before them, I didn't hear that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm thinking yeah. like, oh my God, you're a survivor. Who are you? You're so strong. You're so brave. I, you know, like this is like a miracle. But unfortunately, the baby was growing at the rate that they should have. And I um, also found out that it was a tubal pregnancy. And even though they were growing, you know, like I said, where they should have been growing, um, my life was in danger. And my doctor informed me that I had less than an hour to be in surgery to save my life oh my and God. stop the eruption of the tube. But I also unfortunately had to sacrifice the life of my baby. And so that prompted me to go home and just really seek God and said, okay, I removed myself. This is the fifth time, the fifth child that I lost. I removed myself from this guy. You have to have something awesome. Something great has to come out of this. And yes. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but I just need you to speak to me. And that's what he prepared me to pretty much show up for um, myself and um, create the foundation. So there can be resources in my community for women who will unfortunately experience the same thing. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to bring Kristen back on. I think she's um, good to go now with her baby. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us, Kristen. <laughs> yes, sorry. Somebody just woke up from their nap. So. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And, and um, you know, Anisha just gave us um, just kind of a, a little bit of her journey and how she got to doing what she's doing. I would love to hear your story as well, Kristen. Absolutely. So, um, I did hear a little bit of Anisha's story and mine is the drastic opposite, actually. Um, my son was, I got pregnant with my son on birth control. Um, and, oh, speaking of son, <laughs> why does he have, I'm not sure. You're okay. <laughs> We're getting a real up. So like, <laughs> Okay, so I have a five-year-old also. Uh, but yeah, so I got pregnant with him on birth control. Um, I, motherhood was never in my plans. Um, and I used to always joke with like my, my friends that I just knew that motherhood was not for me because mm -hmm. I was selfish. Like, didn't want to stop my life for anybody else. Just want to do what I'm doing all the time. So I'm like, I think I'm good on the motherhood thing. Um, so then I got pregnant with my son in 2014, um, on birth control. I had just applied to speech pathology school, actually. Um, and then I got waitlisted. Okay. Excuse me. Hello. Excuse me. Real mother right here. Sorry. Yes, it is. Right? You remember that? I thought I was going to be on a call. You see it. happening right here. You see the pretty ladies? Okay. We're all talking. And this is not a copy to close your sister, okay? You're being rude. Do you want to go downstairs, Cruz, with your brother? <laughs> well, we're, we're about to go on a break. <laughs> COVID, virtual school, just all things. This is it right here. I did it. 
trust me, if anybody is like we're going with the flow, that is me. So you are good. <laughs> we are going to go to a break though. Um, so when we come back, we'll we'll dive a little bit more deeply into this conversation. So stay with us. We'll be right. <laughs> All right, welcome back. I'm Dr. Pamela, and joining uh, me today is Anisha Stanley and. Um, and we were talking about this uh, phenomenon of um, black maternal death. Um, I am, and, and, and not even just death, but the complications and, and the challenges that come along with, um, you know, uh, interacting with our doctors in different ways. Um, Anisha, I'm, I'm curious to know um, from your experience, um, you know, can you speak to any challenges um, that you've had um, in your medical journey? Um, you know, as it pertains to, you know, um, you know, with your doctors and how you address that. Yes. Yeah, so after we've experienced our first loss, our first miscarriage in 2014, um, when we went in to meet our gynecologist, um, one thing that I, I, I will say that I learned from my mother was that when you go to the doctor's office or an important important appointment, <laughs> you dress up and you just, you know, you just look the part, I guess, so, or you, you just dress up. And so I've seen her do that. And so my husband and I, you know, we were dressed up. I just had on something that I will wear to church, like business casual. My husband um, was is in the, a professional man. So he had on a suit and tie already from work. And so we went into the appointment, um, not looking just, you know, put together any old kind of way, but we still were kind of overlooked even though we were kind of put together. And so we sat down and finally met the OB. It was our first time meeting her um, and she was Hispanic. And so I thought that maybe because she's a female um, and a minority that she will understand, you know, what I went through. And honestly, she came into the room and just say, oh, okay, hi, how are you? This is what, you know, I'm reading. These are the stats, this is what's going on. You had a miscarriage, okay, you'll be fine. This is your recovery. You got any questions? Not, hi, how are you? This is my first time meeting you. This is my name. You know, this is my nurse. Like, nothing. It was just get straight to, okay, so you lost your baby. You'll be fine. Come see me in a couple of weeks and let's move forward. And that did not sit well with me at all for for the longest, for a couple of weeks. Um, so I just began to pray and just think about, like, okay, you know, for whatever reason, it was another doctor also, um, that a lot of people talked about who's my doctor now. Um, I just kind of started calling around and asking some people about doctors because I hadn't been pregnant before other than just losing that baby. And so they began to just kind of recommend someone to me. And I decided to make that change because I just felt like I wasn't heard. I wasn't looked at as a person. she didn't try to ask me, was there anything specific that I wanted to know or kind of just explain what was going on or it was a little rushed. The appointment was rushed. And so I did switch to a different doctor and I'm so glad I did. Like, I love my doctor. He's actually one of my board members uh, for the Keep the Pope Foundation and one of our co-facilitators. Like we have a great relationship. I call him my godfather. So I thank God for that. And I understand everyone don't have that patient-doctor relationship. Um, But I can say with my first ectopic pregnancy, after finding out that when we went to the appointment, actually, um, we went to hear the baby's heartbeat. Um, It was very faint. And while we were there and the doctor, you know, had the ultrasound going, the heartbeat, actually, we, we heard, you know, the baby's heartbeat decrease and ultimately 
the baby passed. And so my doctor informed me what was going on, what would the next step be. And so he sent me to a hospital, a different facility for treatment. And the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is methotrexate. And methotrexate is a high form of chemotherapy. Oh, so wow. if already, you know, this is my third baby that I've lost and I just heard my baby's heartbeat leave their body and it was just devastating already. And then to also get there and find out that the treatment is a form of chemotherapy, I was just like done. But oh the kicker was, again, my husband's with me and... Um, I go back to receive the treatment. The lady comes in the room and she's dressed like she's going into nuclear war. Face shield, head shield, body shield, <laughs> gloves, just everything. So wow. for me, she she like up. Well, she had my husband hold me up so she he she can administer the shot in um, my back, in the top, in the buttocks area. And so she had two shots, and they were like really big horse pins, look like really big. And so my husband, he's just looking at me in my eyes. I'm looking at him. I'm crying. This this is just devastating. And he he's looking like he's helpless. There's nothing he can do to help me with this. And so I asked her. I said, Well, wait a minute. Before you administer this, because you're suited and booted. Should I have, like, should you be giving me a gown? Yeah. Is there anything that I need? And she was like, oh, no, you'll be fine. It's just a quick shot. You know, she barely kind of explained what she was doing. I kind of had to ask her, can you explain what this is? What, um, how long does this um, take before it actually gets into my body? It st starts to dissolve the, the cells of the baby and everything. Kind of explained that to me a little bit more. And she kind of was just like, you know, making it seem like she didn't really have the time to do that. And so she administered the shot and immediately my body reacted and the amniotic fluids and everything in blood just started to flow down my legs. I, again, I'm clothed in what I wore, fully clothed, the fluids just flowing down my legs, down my pants, into my shoes now. So I'm, I asked her, I said, um, should I be bleeding or, or spilling something in my pen on myself? And she was like, no, you should be fine. And it happens again. So... I literally just received that treatment and I had to go home soiled in the blood and the fluids yeah. and just everything. And they just treated me as if like, oh, you'll be fine. Just take the shot in. And, and that's just that. Wow. Yeah. Hey, that's quite the experience. My God. Um, okay. So uh, we're going to go to break. I, okay. I want to hear when we come back, um, just kind of the role that doulas play in this process, because I believe had a doula been around and that, that situation wouldn't have played out quite like that. Um, so yeah, so stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, today I'm joined by Elisha, Misha Stanley and Kristen McHugh-Green. I believe Kristen is back, is she back, is she back? When she comes back, she'll be back. You'll see her when she comes back. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that uh, Anika did, we just kind of shared, um, which was part of the horror story, actually, um, in, in terms of just uh, a medical experience. I'm, I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about the role of a doula and perhaps the difference between a doula and a midwife. I had both. I still don't fully know the difference, but I loved having both of them. Um, what, can you talk to that a little bit? 
Yes, actually, a doula is a support person, just another person to um, help advocate for you, someone who can support you through your entire birthing process through um, every stage up through even through postpartum. And so a lot of times, well, for me, um, as a doula, it's really important that I help my clients understand that during birth or as you prepare for birth, that birth should be a self-determined experience. It should not be something that's envisioned by a doctor or a medical staff or someone telling you how you should have birth, how you should give birth, where you should give birth, um, also who you should allow to be like your support person. Um, a lot of times they come from this, you know, westernized, colonized idea that, you know, a support person also is just, you know, the father of the child, not necessarily someone that you feel will bring you peace and comfort during that time and help you um, in the um, delivery room with, you know, breathing techniques, someone who can help advocate for you. And I really just feel like um, a doula is really special to have because for me, I'm very passionate about creating that birthing room and that scene in the, the environment. Because if you go into that place with a lot of fear, then that's what you're going to welcome, you know, but there's a lot of things that you can do prior to that. And a lot of the fear does come from because women like me who's had that, that same experience, if I would have taken that into, you know, um, the next birth or um, another opportunity that I had to speak with a doctor, then of course I will be very reluctant and not trusting. Um, and a lot of it, it comes from being, um, we're not having that equity as far as care and treatment and the doctors treating you not as a person. Again, they don't know your economic status or your educational status, even though those things are what society deem as valuable and worthy, you know, the higher educated you are or the more money you make, then this is where, you know, you are in this level and this is what we see you as. Um, but no one knows that when you're walking into, you know, a doctor's office or whatnot. And so when it comes to a, a doula, a doula can just really support you through the birth and help you prepare um, for those stages and for postpartum. Whereas a midwife, they are more um, clinically um, trained who actually help you give birth at home. So I will recommend a midwife for someone who was interested, like you who wanted to have, you know, that natural birth thing experience. Um, but that woman um, is trained to medically be able to um, assess you, to give a diagnosis and to also make the calls about whether or not, you know, if something happens, if you need to be transported immediately and transitioned to the hospital where you can get that medical attention that you need. Whereas in the doula, um, they don't have that, but they're just more so there for, for support. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was definitely the case. Um, and, and I actually had um, my daughter in the hospital, but it was with a Midwife. Okay. It was because the, the doctor that I had who said, you're going to be begging for that medicine. Um, she says, fire him. I got somebody else for you. Mm -hmm. And she found me a midwife who I don't know. I, I, for some reason, believe she was a midwife and a doctor. I don't know if that's possible. But anyway, yeah. um, that's, that's how I ended up in that situation, which was ideal. Um, you know, but I did all pretty much all my laboring at home. Um, my doula said, when you feel like you need to push, we'll go to the hospital. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's too late. <laughs> and so it wasn't too late, but, um, 
And, and well, a confession, I lied. I said, I have to push. I have to push. And I really didn't. I was just kind of scared. Um, but but mm-hmm. it went well. <laughs> okay, good, good. Was that was that your first baby or? It was my second, but it was 11 okay. years apart. The first one, I was 18. The second okay. one, I was 30. Like, okay. A whole different experience. Whole but different yeah, experience. So grateful for the do. Like Kristen is back, by the way. Kristen, are you here? Yay. Nope, nope. Okay, never mind. All right. Well, so look. Here's the deal. When Kristen pops up on the screen, Kristen's back. That's how I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kristen. Uh, it's, it's wrong. It's going wrong, right? No. <laughs> the internet. It's okay. <laughs> hear from me after this. Have you been able to listen and hear what's going on I, at all? Yes. Okay. So you're on. I haven't been able to. Yeah, I don't know what's going okay. on. Okay. Yeah, we're we're really just kind of talking about what a doula does, and 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 the you know, and and like I said, in my experience, the doula she was amazing. Um, and and like I mean, things like I'm in labor, she comes to the house, you know, I'm doing all the labor there. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm gonna throw up, and she does something to my toes, and then I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. <laughs> hit those pressure you- points, yeah, yes, amazing. So. Uh, so, Kristen, I was asking um, Anisha about, you know, what a doula does and so forth. Um, anything to add or anything that you want to kind of put out there about the role of a doula, about what you've done um, as a doula as well? Um, so I would ultimately just echo all of Anisha's sentiments. Um, so doulas, in addition to uh, the physical support that everyone knows that we can help out with, you know, everybody knows about hip squeezes and um, pressure no, points. I don't know if everybody knows about that. What's a hip squeeze? <laughs> <laughs> Counter pressure at the hips with mm-hmm. action. And so usually what happens when you're having a contraction or during a contraction, especially when baby is coming down real low, um, you essentially feel like somebody is pulling your legs apart. Right. Like, um, and so it's helpful if you have somebody giving some counter pressure there, right where you feel like it's pulling apart. Oh, I think that probably I, when I'm training doulas, I, and we start talking about what's in your doula tool bag. I'm like, your two hands are what's mm-hmm. in your yeah her hands were amazing yeah yeah then you don't need a bag of tools like let's start right let's start exploring some other career options sis (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it i love it (laughs) (laughs) that's great so so we're going to go into the research um, and um and then we're going to continue this conversation so moving right on into the research science science All right, so um, just to look at you, um, some of the, I guess, the latest um, of of information um, regarding Black health or healthcare, Black healthcare, healthcare for Black women. Um, As I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, um, Black women are three to four times more likely to die as a result of pregnancy um, in in, um, post, -post, pre-post, I'm sorry, not pre-pregnancy, but um, post and during um, childbirth. Black women experience disparities in infertility rates, 
um, stigmatization and access to fertility care. Kelsey talked about that a little bit in the first half. Um, health conditions that impact Black women, such as fibroids, um, receive very little governmental research funding. Um, so there's a lot of research funding on a lot of other issues, but when it pertains to issues that particularly impact Black women, there's not a lot of issue on, um, uh, research on that. And there's a lot of disregard and a lot of, yeah, just go ahead and have a hysterectomy, you know, kind of treatment um, when there are so many other ways to address um, the issue of fibroids. Um, black women are underrepresented in clinical trials that require consent. However, we're overrepresented in studies that do not require consent. That's kind of scary. So this, this idea that these studies are happening and we don't even know it. We're over overrepresented in those kinds of studies, but not the ones in which we volunteer voluntarily participate in. Um, and then black women are significantly underrepresented in key biomedical research data sets. So there's not even a lot of data about us to draw from um, when we are trying to find out what kinds of um, treatments are, are good for fibroids? What kinds of, what do we need to do in terms of lowering our risks in, in ch um, childbirth? Mm -hmm. um, and so we are significantly underrepresented in those key studies as well. So I um, just wanted to put some of those, um, those, those statistics or that information out there. Um, does this resonate any, you know, does any of this resonate with what you've seen in terms of the work that you've done? So I will say that um, when I first started birth work, I started in breastfeeding and I was really interested in, so when we talk about breastfeeding and all the things that it does for the woman, we talk about uh, reduced incidence cancer. We talk about reduced instances of uh, breast cancer. That in itself was really intriguing because I knew that um, I knew that the numbers for black women who were diagnosed with breast cancer were higher than white women. So the research showed that black women are two to three times more likely to be diagnosed and die of breast cancer than white women. But the breastfeeding research is the opposite and shows that white women are breastfeeding at two to three times the rate of black women. Wow. If we know that the two directly correlate, it didn't really make much sense to me that we had this stereotype of black women not breastfeeding. So it was like, if we know that breastfeeding could potentially save us from breast cancer, why aren't we doing that more? So mm -hmm. as I started to dig into the research and actually talk to people who were doing the research, I spoke to an obstetrician at Emory University who had been doing some research on it. And it turns out that the um, the medications that were around for breast cancer were built based on white genetics. So they weren't mm -hmm. actually helping black women at all. So yeah. okay, breast cancer, sure you have medicine for it, but it's not medicine that's gonna work for me. So this is why our numbers are looking like this. Again. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, okay, that's that is intriguing. And I think that that makes a whole lot of sense, which again is why this whole idea of holistic health and holistic healing mm-hmm. is, is going to be a key to, to a lot of this. So when we come back, um, I'm gonna give Anisha an opportunity to speak to this as well. Uh, we're gonna go to a break again. Um, I, I see that we have a couple of comments. I'm going to acknowledge those comments when we come back. And uh, so stay with us on the live exchange. All right, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by Anisha Stanley, founder of Full Circle Doula Services, and Kristen Mejia Green, founder owner of Express Yourself Pumping Suites, um, and and so much more. You 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 both are doing a lot more than what I just said. So, <laughs> um, but Anisha, um, I would love to hear your take on um, just kind of some of these. Um, stats in terms of how black women are excluded from studies but um, and then we have these high rates of, um, of of death that happen I'm curious to know if, if anybody that you work with or anybody you've spoken to um, really seems to kind of embody what some of these statistics are showing about how black women are experiencing medical care yeah um, it's unfortunate because black women are more likely to be uninsured and they have a lot of barriers when it comes to finances and education resources and, and, and the help that they need. And so a lot of times when a black woman does come into a medical office or seeks medical attention, also because of the systemic racism that's there, um, they're not deemed as human or looked at as a person first. And, and their concerns aren't really um, being heard and a lot of times like um some of the clients that i've worked with especially like even this year have been like some younger women and i've had to pretty much pull a lot of things out of them and ask them some questions and some things that they may not have thought of even if it was not just their first pregnancy but um it's a lot of women don't know how to advocate for themselves and how to speak up for themselves and we see that also with women um having their first baby, a lot of times you just trust what the doctor says because you don't know what to compare it to. You don't have anything to compare your pregnancy or your um, experience to. So you just trust that the doctor knows what they're talking about and that they're treating you with the utmost care and respect that you need. But a lot of times it's not that. And then when they're being discriminated against or not getting the same um, care that they need or the resources that they need and they try to speak up for themselves it's either they're they're under speaking up for themselves or if you are coming in with the research and the knowledge then they think that okay you know a little bit too much who do you think you are um yeah you're you know looked at as you know just you're, you're doing too much, you know, just stay in your lane kind of thing. And, but no, it's like, I'm actually, I, as the patient, I'm coming to you anyway, telling you what the diagnosis is. Had I stayed yeah, at home, it still would be the same. I'm coming to you to tell you, okay, this is what's going on. And I'm here to ask for, you know, the help and the resources. And so, like I said, with the young women that I work with a lot this year, um, I can see that happening because a lot of them, um, didn't know what a lot of things were when we went through like birthing education or with breastfeeding, lactation support, um, and also some pre-existing um, medical conditions that they had. They didn't know to ask questions about that or, oh yeah, I remember a doctor saying that, you know, I may have a hard time having a baby when I get older, but I never 
thought anything about it or I got on birth control early because this is what, you know, someone told me to do. Not knowing that that actually can play a factor in your fertility. And um, yeah. I think it's something that you should start talking to your children about early. It's so weird that like I have a five year old, but a lot of times because of what I went through with experiencing pregnancy loss um, in now with the secondary um, infertility diagnosis, when she wants certain things to eat, I'm thinking about her body. I'm thinking about her fertility. Like even now at five years old, it's like, no, you're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. Or, you know, it's just something that um, that I'm doing for her now and just making sure that she has access to, you know, to nutrition and foods and things like that. But I can see where um, a lot of the stats that you shared um, are true and like, um, Kristen said a lot of the research and everything that has been done hasn't come from the black women or you know the black community um, because we're kind of pushed aside. We are pushed aside a lot of times, especially when it comes to maternal health care and breastfeeding, and it is just really sad. So, well, it's it's not something that we like to say, but the reality is we are in a society that is embedded in racism, and that is going to permeate through every system, every industry that we interact with. And so it's there and we can't deny it. Um, there's there's a comment here that I wanted to br uh, bring up and one just another one just popped up. Um, Jamie said that she remembers having a C-section with her second son and the doctor asked her while she was on the operating table um, if she was sure that she didn't want her tubes tied. She was only 26, come on. Right. So, there's one and then, um, I got on birth control, this is from Kelsey, I got on birth control as a teenager to deal with PCOS only to discover that had they done more testing and support then, I might not be in the position I'm in now, which she's trying to have a baby now. Um, and, and I'm gonna bring up this last comment because I wanna bring it home with this question. Um, she says the care, this is from Jamie again, the care that we get from doctors is one thing, but the trauma that's endured along the way is immense. We are expected to walk away from these experiences and move on with our lives. So my question is, I know I'm seeing your face. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't tie the traumatic experiences that we have to like, now I've got to actually continue to live my life, but I've been traumatized. That story that Jamie said, she's on the table, age 26, had her C-section. Are you sure you don't want your face tied? So my question is, which you guys are going to have to, ladies, are going to have to answer when we come back from the break, um, is to what extent do help do doulas um, or the work that you do in general? Because I know that you also do coaching, Anisha, is that correct? Um, right. Great coaching. Do you guys help with the trauma? And I want I want you both to talk about, and I said you guys again, I'm like paranoid about that because somebody told it's me, okay. hey, guys, we're women. So you ladies, <laughs> to what extent do you address the trauma? And um, so think about that. And when we come back, we're going to talk about it. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today I am joined by Stanley and Kristen McKeon-Green, who are um, strong advocates of health and wellness um, through the pre, post, and during um, 
pregnancy process. So um, the question that I posed before the break was about the trauma that we experience in our in our doctoral, you know, doctoral journeys. That sounds like something else. But in our in our med- medicinal journeys, that sounds like something else too. But you know what I mean. So. <laughs> How do you address the trauma that, that women experience? So um, I like to say we're in the trust tree. Okay. So uh, full transparency. I lead with trauma with my clients a lot of times. Um, and that sounds really bold. But um, for me, my entire like almost all of my motherhood is rooted in trauma because I got pregnant on birth control. I had a terrible pregnancy with my son. Um, Birth was okay. Breastfeeding was fine. I dealt with postpartum depression. Um, And then I got pregnant with my daughter when I was not trying to become pregnant with anybody. And um, that was a horrible pregnancy. So I've come to the conclusion that my body and pregnancy don't get along. Um, That was bad. And then I had a home birth. That was fine. Breastfeeding was hard. And then I dealt with postpartum depression again. And so when I talk to my clients, the thing I lead with when we start talking about pregnancy is how do you feel about being pregnant? Yeah. A lot of times when someone comes to us and they say, oh, girl, I'm pregnant. We just celebrate. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yay. You're so pregnant. Yay. <laughs> Without for a second asking her how she feels about that. Yeah. Both times I was pregnant, I was extremely unhappy about it. And mm-hmm. it made it worse that everyone kept celebrating for me. I was like, this is not a celebratory moment. Like, right. no, I don't want to do that. And so with every, um, with every milestone in her pregnancy, I talked to my client about that. How are you feeling about this? This is a conversation they don't get to have with their doctor because their doctor is coming in to do all the technical stuff. So how are you feeling temperature wise, blood pressure wise, weight wise? Uh, are you tired? When your doctor's asking you how are you feeling, that's what they're asking you for. Yeah, not how you feel about yeah. being pregnant. They're not asking you. <laughs> they're not asking you for the sob story of yeah. this is not the right time. I'm trying to do something else with my life. Yada yada yada. Whatever. Nobody right. really cares about that. So, so if I can interrupt, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say I, I see that we're we're almost done with the show, and I want to give Anisha an opportunity as well, um, really quickly to to chime in on this. Is, um, so we don't yeah. I was just going to say real quick. So sure. I, um, I, I got trained in postpartum mood disorders so that I could start mm-hmm. being able to recognize signs and symptoms during pregnancy. Yeah. That might be a, a red flag to say, hey, wow. let's let's work on that so that we don't hit it in the after term. Hmm. I wish we had started with this topic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, Anisha. <laughs> yeah, um, I concur with everything that Kristen said, but I also can speak to um, the trauma that comes with losing a baby. And, um, you know, life after loss is very traumatic for a lot of people. And I understand that people grieve differently, but I know for myself, you know, after having three miscarriages and two life-threatening ectopic pregnancies, almost dying um, from 
being pregnant, you just want to be pregnant and, and, and have children. You know, there's a lot that comes with it. And I know in my household, it was just a lot that I dealt with that my husband had to deal with also and help me with such as the PTSD. PTSD, um, depression, suicide ideation. Um, it was just a lot. And then um, in the black community, we don't talk about pregnancy loss. We don't talk about life after loss and what to do. And people don't try to uh, open up and share their experiences with you and hold space. And so that's why I created the Keys of Hope Foundation for pregnancy loss and infertility. It's because we want um, to hold space for women and allow them to share their experiences and receive support from others who have have a shared experience and have gone through that because no one understands you and your grief process and the journey and the trauma that comes along with losing your baby. There's a lot of guilt that comes from that, that the mother takes on and um, a lot of pressure that she puts on herself, even where fertility or infertility is concerned. And um, it, it's, it's just a lot. But for me, I just really wanted to show up for other women and let them know that I was there to support them and I understood where they were coming from and create this resource and this space for them and have a class where we can get back to life after loss. And how do you do that? It's just by understanding the grief model is understanding um, how to advocate for yourself and how it, your, your marriage can be impacted, how your relationships can be impacted, but ultimately coming back to self-care, how to mother yourself, nurse yourself back to health and to also hold space for yourself and to just find some type of hope, hope in God and develop your faith where that trauma is concerned. But um, in the black community, you know, it's like the, the generations before ours, we like grandma and them says what happens in this house stays in this house. So you don't talk about it, but we keep recreating generations of women who are broken. And then you understand, you're wondering why she's always got an attitude or I don't like her. She always means she always this. And that happened to me in a, in a group that I'm in. Um, a young lady was deemed as like, she's always talking, doing different things and acting a certain way until I shared my story, what happened to me. And she privately messaged me and said, hey, this is what's going on. I said, oh, now I understand why maybe she put on that mask and why she acts that way. And the next time I saw her in our club meeting, she just hugged me and loved on me. And everybody was like, oh my God, like, why is she hugging yeah. on you? Well, I know what's going on with her now. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we need that. We need that. And I, and I hate to cut you off, um, but we, you know, we are about to wrap but but what you just said resonates with one of the comments that I have to read um, from Kelsey. She says, um, uh, "We are and we are holding in the trauma our mothers and their mothers and their mothers' experiences. If my grandmother was born with all her eggs and my mother was born with all her eggs, I have been carried through trauma. I have to be the end of this maternal trauma or healthcare trauma." So we're going to close on that, uh, but we're not closing the door to this conversation because we need to continue to have it. As you can Absolutely. see, an hour went by really fast. Um, yeah. So we are definitely going to have a part two um, and we are going to delve into this. I actually want to delve into this trauma piece a little bit more than we were able to today. So, um, so where are the two of you located? Well, first, if you can each tell me where you're located and how people can reach you. And I did hear somebody say something about virtual doula. So it might not even matter where you're located in terms right. of support, but just let us know where you're located and how can people reach you? We'll start with Kristen. 
So I am in Nashville, Tennessee, and I do not virtual doula because okay. I um, I I need to be with you. I need to see your face, and I also don't like to be on the phone. So it's gonna be enough for me. <laughs> I can drive up to Nashville now. If I if I get pregnant, I just drive up there. Now I will say I do travel. I do travel. Okay. Um, and so I'm very, I'm willing to do that. I, um, but I can be found on Instagram at express yourself. So it's ex breast yourself dot or yeah. At express yourself. Also express yourself.com. Um, I would love for you to find me on Instagram at Homeland Heart, Tennessee, TN. We are the first community based doula program in Nashville, Tennessee for black women by black women. All right, thank you. And Anisha. Awesome, I am in Saginaw, Michigan and you can find me at thekeysofhopefoundation.com slash full circle doula services. And on Instagram, you can find me at Keys of Hope Foundation and on Facebook, it's just um, Keys of Hope. All right, well, thank you so much. I am so glad that you all were able to join us. This is such important information as Anisha explained. When we know each other's stories, we can give each other grace and, and connect with one another on a higher level. So let's continue this conversation. I would love to have the two of you back, um, as well as the two that were here in the first hour. This is just such important information. So stay with us. Um, well, well, stay with us. Join us next week. Um, and next week, we're going to be talking about incarceration, another fun exciting topic of the things that need to be addressed. So thank you again for joining us on the live exchange. Remember, it's your life. I want you to love it. Have an excellent week.